0: Paul starts by giving thanks for these people or telling them that he gives thanks to them. And he gives them two reasons. He says, because of your faith in God and your love for people. And I could say nothing else except for those two things today. And I think that it would be a pretty productive service because here's the thing. If you would grow in your faith in Jesus and your love for people, then you would live a far more godly life. If you would just look at those two things and say, I'm committed to trying to grow in my faith in Jesus, my faith in God, and my love of people, then you would grow in the Christian faith by leaps and bounds. Well, let's talk about a couple of specifics here. Uh, What does he mean by faith when he says faith in God? Well, Uh, he, He has said to these people that they have come to salvation only through faith in God. If you looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so he says to them just a chapter later, as an explanation of faith, he says faith is what brings you to eternal life. It's what brings you to salvation. Now, I I know many of you know this story, but I I just want to make it clear for you every single Sunday. Uh, The faith that he's talking about is is faith in Jesus and what Jesus did for him. You see, the object of our faith is important. If you're drowning and you put your faith in the birds that are above you, it's not going to work out for you. But Paul is talking about a faith in Jesus as Savior. The Bible tells us that we were all sinners. Every single one of us had done wrong things in our life. And if you would be honest for a minute, you could admit to that. And it it tells us that God, even though we were sinners, wanted to have a relationship with us. But it was absolutely impossible. And so God sent His Son, a guy that we know as Jesus, to die for our sins. The Bible also tells us in the book of Colossians that when Jesus died, it was as if our sins were being nailed to the cross. It even says that Jesus became sin. And so our faith allows for us to have our sin removed from our lives. And so I think that Paul, I know that Paul, has that in mind when he talks about the faith that they have. He is thankful that these people have come to a relationship with Jesus by saying, I believe that you died for the sins of the world and rose again to give me eternal life. But I think it encompasses more than that. I think that Paul has in mind every aspect of the Christian life. You see, when we become Christians, it starts with faith, but it doesn't end with simple faith that believes in one thing about Jesus. It needs to continue to go forward. Notice what Paul says again in Ephesians two, right after the beginning of verse nine, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul says here, part of that faith is coming to a relationship with Christ that doesn't leave you doing nothing and looking just forward to heaven, but leaves you as a worker for God and for the glory of God. Some people think that, that becoming a Christian simply means that, that you say some prayer and then, and then it kind of stops and, and uh, you, you get to go to heaven someday because at some point in life you said the right words or something like that. But, but the Bible is pretty clear that, that really it's about giving our lives to Jesus. It's about us saying, I'm not just going to say something, but I'm going to give you all of me. And part of that is God giving us back and saying, I'm going to equip you to do good works. That's one of the reasons that we include the word serve in our tagline here, because we believe that part of being a full, complete Christian is serving God with the gifts that God has given you. Now, the other thing here that Paul says is love of people. Now, Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers make clear that love is not what we think love is in our modern day context. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 13, you would see this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres and in the bible it gives us the definition of love first john 3:16 this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and so when paul says love of of god's people he isn't just simply saying hey you know you should tell people you love them You should have some kind of emotional feeling about the people that you go to church with and the other people who call themselves Christian. No, he's saying you need to sacrifice of yourself for the good of God's people. That is what he's talking about. And so let me just make clear again that if you left with those two things, a faith in God, a faith that says, I want to serve you with everything I am. I want to give you more of my life and a love for God's people saying, I will lay down my life for you. I will sacrifice for your good then then we would have done really well today. No matter where we were meeting, it would have been a pretty good service. But because we are here, I think that we should talk about our church a little bit and, and us as, as a corporate group. And I want to start in this passage of Scripture... By saying how thankful I am for the faith in God that this church has and for the love of God's people that it has shown through the years uh, uh, we could list a whole bunch of examples and everybody's examples would be different so let me just give you a couple couple of examples that I have seen through the years uh, faith in God uh, this piece of property is definitely a, a piece of that right and and we can see here as we stand here that a lot of faith has led towards us owning seven acres I mean we own seven acres of land that every Everybody would love to buy from us, and it wasn't just by chance that God led us to that. It's through the faith of people who said, "We believe that God wants us to do something bigger and better." The infrastructure that I mentioned earlier, the plans that we had—that has come through the faith of the people at Creekside, and I'm thankful for that. But but the faith of the people at Creekside is, is even even better than that. Um, some of you don't know this either. We're just telling you all about the church today. Uh, this church in its beginnings got off to a pretty good start and then dwindled down to about six people from the understanding that I have of it. And there was definitely thoughts, I'm sure, of closing the doors and saying, well, that was a good try. Let's uh, go to another church. That's easier. But there was a faith in God and a faith that, that said God wants us to do something. He wants us to be a church in Wilsonville. And so those people said, let's stay faithful to this. They continued to pray. And we're standing here. We're sitting here today because those people said, I have a real faith in God, not just a, a, an out loud faith, but a faith that says we will do what God asks us to do because we trust him and we love him. And so we see that even in your sitting here on this property today, it's because of the faith of people at Creekside. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, as far as love of people goes, uh, Creekside, in my opinion has always been great now we've talked about how there's been separation between the age groups right we've we've mentioned that but but the two groups weren't fighting they just never spoke to each other it, it, it was good between them they just didn't know each other and so uh, when i look at our church and the unity within our body i see a, a ton of love now let me just give you an example that extends beyond our church and the love that our church has extended past this i'll give you more than one example actually First of all, uh, me and, and my brother-in-law now, Matt Connery were roommates, uh, before we married sisters and we were living, uh, in an apartment in Wilsonville and, and we could afford it and we could eat. And, and that was about what we had going for us. And, and one of Matt's friends, uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere needed a place to live and they weren't going to be able to pay for food. And me and Matt looked at each other and said, well, this is an impossibility, but we're not throwing this person out on the streets. And so we brought them in to the, to our, to our apartment and, uh, and they started to live with us. And our church, I don't even remember asking or saying anything about a need. That that would be so against my personality, to be quite honest with you. But people brought groceries to our house from our congregation. And all of a sudden, we had groceries. It's a real act of love for God's people, somebody that you didn't even know at all. And yet this church provided food for them. Another example, and, and these come from, from my personal experiences here, and I could go on for a while. But we ran a homeless ministry for two years. It, it was a ministry that a lot of churches would have, would have said, this is, this is dumb, because it was never going to bring many people in. Just the nature of the ministry we were doing, it was not going to add numbers to our congregation. A- and if it was going to add numbers to our congregation, it wasn't going to add a lot of dollar signs to our congregation, right? And so just the nature of the ministry goes against two of the biggest things that a lot of churches focus on. And yet, not one person in our congregation ever complained. Even when some of those people that, that came and, and they sat and they said things in the middle of sermons out loud and, oh, what are you talking about? And things like that, quite literally. Not one person ever said anything negative about the ministry we're doing. In fact, people came alongside of us and helped us financially, offered to go down there with us on Saturday mornings. A- and it was a horribly unorganized ministry because we didn't plan on starting it. It just kind of Happened, and yet our people came behind us, and we were able to do it for two years because this church loved people and cared enough about people. And one more example, uh, if you'll let me, is we've been meeting with a another church uh, for for about five years. I can't believe that, but uh, but me and Brent added, and we were um, figuring out what grade people were in, and and we believe it's five years that we've been meeting with Christ Community. They are of a different denomination. They are completely different in their style, and we share a building with them. And it would have been easy for us to yell and scream so many times along the way. Uh, But yet, there hasn't been any blow-ups, no fights, there's been moments. But there hasn't been anything too bad, and I really believe that it's because we have a loving congregation. So I want to start by saying how thankful I am for this congregation and what Creekside Bible Church has been through the years. Now, picking up in verse 17... He says that he's praying for them, and this is what he prays. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul says that, that he really uh, wants them to have wisdom, which just means applicable knowledge, and revelation, which means hidden things being revealed. He, he says he wants them to have this so that they may know God better. They may know him better. And here's, here's the thing about the Christian faith. To know God better is to love God more and to serve Him more faithfully. I think that when Paul says that this is what he's praying for this church, which is in a city called Ephesus, I think what he is saying is, look, it's really important that you gain an understanding of God more and more. Now, Paul is going to give specifics in the next few verses that we'll look at briefly, but the truth is, if we would just strive to know God more, then we would love God more and we would more fully live for God. I mean, this is almost as good as having faith in God and love for other people. It's just one more. I could have just said this and we could have gone home and and we would have learned a ton. Because to strive to know God more is really to strive to live for God more. A lot of people become Christians, like I mentioned earlier. They say this prayer and they have an understanding that Jesus died for their sins that's kind of it. And, and we kind of leave people there in church and, and in our discipleship. we just got you there. Congratulations, you're a Christian. You get to go to heaven someday. But, but there's a big, big thing that happens after that, the rest of your life. And Paul is showing us here that, that a, a part of that life needs to be striving to just understand God more. I can promise you this. There is far more to God and what He's done for us and who He is as a a creature. Uh, There's far more to it than just Jesus died for us. If all that you understand is that, that the Son of God died for the sins of the world, that's a great step, but it's not a big enough step. And you're never going to be sold out for Jesus until you strive to live more fully through Him, through understanding Him better. To know Jesus better is to love Jesus more and to want to live for Him more fully. And so already three points. You need to leave here and you need to strive for a greater faith in God, more love for God's people, and you need to strive to know God better and to understand Him. Now Paul gives two specifics. I think these are really good specifics for us out here today. And so here's the two things. In verse 18, continuing on, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. And so the first thing that we see here that Paul prays that they would understand about God more is is what God has provided for them when they came to salvation. Paul has just talked pretty greatly in Ephesians 1 uh, verses 1 through 14 about how in God we have become rich. We have lots of good stuff and and the book shows more of that. In the New Testament as a whole, it just describes for us this wonderful picture of what we inherit when we come to that original faith and accept Jesus as our Savior. It explains to us that that what we have to look forward to is far beyond anything that we can possibly imagine on this earth. And, And so Paul looks at these people and he says, look, I want you to know God better. And one of the key things I want you to know better about God is how much he has offered you if you have come to a relationship with him. The Bible tells us that that inheritance is going to be imperishable. It will never be defiled and it will never fade away in First 1 Peter 1, 1.3. It tells us that that inheritance is going to be wonderful and glorious. And, and so we need to have a better understanding of that inheritance. I can tell you this about life. This is just something that, that I have observed through the years. The people who most fully grasp what they have to look forward to when they get to heaven through death or Jesus' return, are the people who are most excited about living for God now. I can tell you, person after person, that that just fits that description, where they they genuinely want to go to heaven. They look at this life and they think, well, it's alright, but if I could die now, then I would really be happy, because they understand how great it is going to be. Those are the people that we look at and say, I wish I could live more like them. I wish that I had that type of faith in God. I wish I had that type of love for other people. I wish that 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 life was my life. It's the people who, who are excited about the future that they have in Christ that will be in heaven someday. Now, the good news for you, if you're a part of this church, is... Starting September 16th, uh, we will begin a study of heaven in this congregation. And and that's going to last uh, about 10 weeks together. And so hopefully, through that study, we will, we will grasp a little bit more of the excitement that we should have for the inheritance that God has offered those of us who have given our lives to Him by coming to a faith in His Son's death and resurrection. Now, the second thing that Paul says here, continuing after verse 18 is this, is the other thing he wants them to know about, and is incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him as right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Paul says here that, again, he wants them to understand something and his power here. He says that he wants them to know this incomparably great power. This word for incomparably is actually a word that means uh, beyond measure, means to exceed something, okay? And, and so the idea is somebody asks for something that they need and then you give them far more. It would be like if you said, hey Chad, can I borrow five bucks and I gave you five hundred dollars, right? And, and so this word means something along those lines. And so Paul looks at this group of people, this church in Ephesus, and he says to them, I want you to know how exceedingly great God's power is now it's really fascinating because the other time that paul uses this word for exceeding in the new testament he's talking about the love of christ and he says that the love of christ exceeds knowledge and so when paul uses it again the only other time you would think that he kind of has something similar in mind and so he seems to be saying i want you to know the power that is beyond knowledge that god has brought to you when you became a christian The power that you cannot even fathom, that you cannot understand because it is so far beyond what you are able to comprehend. That's crazy to me because we know lots of really powerful things in our world, right? There's a generator running over there that's powering all of this sound, sound equipment. When you listen to it up close, you know that there's a lot of power. So I understand that type of power, right? I, I have an understanding uh, of the power of rocket ships a little bit because I've, I've seen them and I, and I can compare to the, the planes that I've been around that have taken off. There's some serious power there, right? I mean, we look at the sun, and we we kind of fathom how powerful that is because it, it pretty much is the generator for everything that we do on this planet, right? And so we have this, this really large knowledge of, of power. And Paul says, I want you to know this power of God that comes to the life of Christians that is beyond anything that you can possibly know. Paul doesn't leave us there, though. He definitely emphasizes this. He wants you to know the power. He says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. Now there are three words here, and I would give you the, the full definitions of these words, but let's just say this and, and this is true. All three of those words basically mean power. And so he says it's the same power as the power is the power. What do you think Paul is emphasizing? He's emphasizing that when you come to a relationship with Christ, you are filled up with a spiritual power that is unexplainable. It goes beyond anything that we could put in a word. He really is saying, hey, I don't have a word that describes this for you as people like I am, but let me just say it four times, and maybe you will begin to grasp how great the power is that God has offered you as Christians, that God gives you as Christians. Now, what's really fascinating here, is that Paul doesn't just say to these people, I I want you to get this power. He says, I want you to know this power. He seems to assume that this power is already at work within you who have given your lives to Jesus. He simply wants it to be revealed. Last night at about 1 a.m., my cousin Jared, who's staying with us right now, he called us up and, and he said, hey, bad news. I'm sorry to wake you up but your car is not in the driveway. He thought our car had been stolen. And I said, Jared, Brandon's truck is in the garage. Um, And we were borrowing Brandon's truck. Now here's what Paul is saying, I think. Paul is saying, we need to open up the garage so that we can see the power that God has already given us. It's not like it's gone. It hasn't been stolen. It hasn't been taken away. It's already residing within you who are Christians. You just need to open up the garage and take a look at it. You need to take uh, advantage of it and start to use it in your lives. Now, you don't believe the power? Well, how about this? He says, this is the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave. Now, that's really easy for us to dismiss. I mean, we think, well, yeah, Jesus died. We, we've heard that before, right? But think about the power that brings a man out of the grave. I mean, Jesus was buried for days. He had been brutally beaten and crucified by a Roman government that was, was trained to kill. I mean, they took death far more serious than we can fathom as people who live in America. This was a science for them. We can torture these people this much, keep them alive, and then torture them some more, and then make sure that they are absolutely dead. And God, from somewhere up there, wherever He resides in in heaven, in the spaces, just said, I'm going to make you alive. It's crazy to me that there's no backstory there. Jesus is out of the grave. It was just simple for God. He said, Well, it's time for my son to get up now. And he brought forth Jesus out of the grave that he laid in. That's some serious power. And Paul is saying that that power is working in in you. Now, here's the problem. Here's the situation. A lot of us, as Christians, we act like these suffering Christians. Isn't that kind of true isn't isn't the way we approach christianity in our in our country today we say well i came to jesus and now i'll kind of work to read my bible more and i'll kind of try to avoid some sins and hopefully i can just kind of make it through you know but paul's looking at us and he's saying hey <laughs> there is more power in you than you can understand and i think that what we need to hear is this it's not about trying to get through it's about trying to change the world for god and his glory It's not about trying to make it through one day after another. It's about taking hold of the power that is already within you, understanding it more and more, and saying, I'm going to use that power to change my life and to change this world because I know how wonderful and how awesome the power of God that resides within me is. Paul is looking at this church in Ephesus and saying, come on. I mean, you need a grasp that is greater than this. There's something far more than this. You can you can be totally different. You can make this world totally different because God's power is residing within you who are believers in Jesus. But he strengthens this. It gets even better. I mean, if that's not enough for you, this is this is grace. This is great. And he placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything, okay? Not only is Jesus... All-time powerful beyond anything that you can understand. But he's in charge of everything. He's ruling over everything. And so what is there that you cannot accomplish? And then notice this. And this is what I really want us to focus on today. And he appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's looking at this church and he's saying there's so much power in you. There's power in every one of you as an individual. But guess what? in you as a group, in you as a congregation, that power is the fullness of Jesus. Do you notice that? I mean, Jesus is the head, metaphorically, of the church. And the local church becomes, as we have spoken of, the presence of God in this world. We become the power of God together in this world. God doesn't have a, another plan besides us saying we're going to take a hold of that power and be the fullness of him. The world is looking for Jesus, and the only place they're going to find it is by looking at the church. So often, and I, you've probably said it, I've said it, we look at non-Christians who say, well, I would think about Jesus, but his people aren't doing a very good job of representing him. And we say, well, come on. I mean, we're not Jesus. We can't be Jesus. But Paul looks at us the congregation, a church, and says, you are Jesus to this world. And so no longer can you say, well, it's shame on them for looking at us and not seeing the fullness of Jesus. Shame on them for not believing because of us. Because God has said, you are the way that I will show myself to people that are lost and hurting. He says, you are my presence to this world. We have to take a hold of that. Not only is Jesus head over everything, but he has a unique relationship with local churches. I think when it comes to this property and the things that we want to do as Creekside, sometimes we act like suffering Christians and things are going to go bad. We act like Blazer fans who say the knee's going to get hurt. It's just not going to happen. Right? But Paul is saying to us as a congregation, you are the fullness of God. You are. God's plan to show himself to the world. And so here's what I say to you and to me and to us. God wants us to succeed. We're his plan.